Chapter 8 of the Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna by Herbert Carter. Chapter 8. Useful Knowledge. That was a time for rapid action and not talk. No one knew this better than the leader of the Silver Fox Patrol. At the same time, if he wished to render assistance to the imperiled lad, it was necessary that he give a few quick directions to his chums, so they could all work together toward that end. Alan, the rest of you hurry along and get below. Giraffe, back me up, will you? I know what you can do in cold water. We've just got to save that boy, and that's all there is to it. Come along, Giraffe. The tall scout never hesitated for even a single second. He understood that it would be necessary for both of them to plunge into that flood of water, cold from the melting snows further toward the source of the river, but Giraffe was known for his boldness, and a little thing like that could not frighten him. Why, on one occasion he had plunged into a burning woods and performed prodigies of valor, what was an ice-water bath to him but a little episode? Both boys, as they hurried toward the brink of the river, commenced to shed their outer garments, having discarded other impedimenta like their haversacks the first thing. In this way, Thad knew he would be killing two birds with one stone, for they must be impeded with clinging clothes when swimming, and after they came out it was bound to feel very cold, so that these dry garments must come in handy. "'Jump in here, giraffe, and I'll drop down a little further,' he shouted, as the two of them came upon the riverbank. A quick look out on the rolling current had shown him how affairs stood just then. He saw that the frantic boy was clinging to the overturned boat, which was swirling around in the eddies and swinging downstream at quite a rapid rate. He lost his grip even as Thad looked, and the heart of the scout seemed to leap into his throat with dread. Then the boy somehow managed to regain his hold, but he seemed to be so excited and frightened that there was danger of his slipping away again at any second, and being weakened by exposure, the chances of his once more recovering his slender hold could not be worth much. Thad did not waste a single second. He was hurrying along even when taking this look toward the scene of the catastrophe and figuring just where to jump into the water at the same time. In deciding this, he had to take into consideration the length of time that might ensue before he could expect to push out to where the overturned boat was going to pass. Also, the strength of the current that was bringing the wreck down toward him. Although the water felt like ice when he started in, Thad did not allow that fact to bother him a particle. He shot a glance upstream and saw that already Giraffe had reached deep water so that he was compelled to swim. The sight of him buffeting the waves gave Thad considerable satisfaction, though he feared that the boy clinging to the slippery bottom of the boat might disappear before either of the intended rescuers could reach him. Meanwhile, the other six scouts had started on a run down the road, it being the intention of Ellen to have them where they could render assistance in getting the others ashore, because those in the water would likely be exhausted even if all went well. Then Thad reached a step-off, and plunging in over his head was compelled to swim for it, which he did right valiantly, constantly keeping tabs on the oncoming boat, and still hoping that the boy might maintain his hold until either Giraffe or himself could lend a helping hand. All at once he felt a chill that was not caused by the icy water, for the poor fellow had again slipped back into the churning water. But Thad and Giraffe were closing in on him, with the latter in a position to glimpse the still struggling lad ere he finally went down. 
With the crisis upon him, Thad dived, while Giraffe started to tread water and hold himself in readiness to help should his chum meet with any success. It seemed an interminable time to the lengthy scout before he saw Thad reappear. At first he feared the patrol leader must have missed connections with the drowning boy, and then he made the pleasing discovery to the contrary, for Thad was gripping Johnny tightly with one arm as he swam with the other. Giraffe shot toward him as fast as he could go, and in another moment the two scouts were putting into practice something that all scouts learn as part of their preparedness when trying to rescue a comrade who has been seized with a cramp while swimming. Holding the unconscious lad between them, with his head kept well above the water, they started toward the bank, swimming with sturdy and well-regulated strokes. When they drew near enough for one of the others who had waded in up to his waist to reach out a hand, it came easier, and in this way they bore the rescued boy ashore. Thad was already shivering with cold, but he kept his wits about him and gave such orders as he saw were necessary. Alan and several of the other scouts were directed to try and resuscitate the apparently drowned boy, while Bumpus and Smithy started as big a fire as they could manage, so that all of them might warm up. Meanwhile, Thad and Giraffe jumped around and slapped their arms furiously in the endeavor to get up a good circulation of blood. The poor woman came upon them at this unfortunate moment, while Alan kneeling over the wet form of her boy was kneading his chest after the most approved fashion known to lifesavers, and a couple of the other fellows were working his arms back and forth above his head as though they gripped pump handles. "'Oh, he's dead! My boy Johnny is dead!' wailed the mother, starting to throw herself upon the group, when Bob White, although full of sympathy for her harrowed feelings, knew that to stop the proceedings just then might end what hope there existed for saving a life. Accordingly, he caught her in his arms and insisted in restraining her, at the same time speaking words of hope and cheer. You mustn't interfere with them, ma'am, he told her soothingly. They got the water out of his lungs and are trying to start artificial breathing by pumping him that way. There's lots of hope he'll come out all right, because he wasn't under the water long. Why, I believe I saw his eyelid flutter right then. Yes, sir, did the same again. It's a fact, and you're bringing him along handsomely, fellows. So you see, ma'am, you're not going to lose Johnny after all. The woman knelt there, awed, and watched the slow recovery of her boy. After a little while he began to breathe naturally, then his eyes opened, and he even made an effort to struggle, possibly being still impressed with the horror of his recent peril. Before that time the fire had got to burning splendidly, and both boys who had been in the river crowded as close to the warmth as possible, feeling much better on account of it. Thad too could think again and direct his chums what to do, one of them ran to the cabin and came back with a blanket, which was wrapped around the now recovered but shivering Johnny, after which Step Hen and Alan assisted the small boy to reach his home, with the rejoicing mother following at their heels, crying now, but with happiness. Alan told her just what to do in order that no ill effect, such as pneumonia, should follow the immersion, and she promised to keep him in bed and give him warm liquid food until he was feeling himself again. When the two scouts turned to leave her, the poor woman kissed them both, much to their confusion, for they felt that the thanks were due to Thad and Giraffe, if anybody, since they were the ones who had risked something in order to save the drowning boy. Of course, this was going to detain them for perhaps an hour, because those who had been in the water wished to thoroughly dry their clothes, at least such as they had taken with them into the river. Both had been wise enough to tear off leggings and shoes before leaving the shore, as swimming would have been next to impossible otherwise 
and this counted considerably in their favor now. While they sat around the blaze waiting until Thad gave the signal for another start, the boys thought it wise to make their noonday meal so they would not have to stop again. Of course, the talk was pretty much all upon the subject of rescuing persons who were in danger of being drowned and also of resuscitating those who had been pulled out of the water apparently far gone. Thad, as usual, did not let the chance slip to deliver a few telling remarks connected with a knowledge of certain kinds which all scouts are required to attain before they can become shining lights in their profession, or hope to rise to the position of second or first class scouts. If there's one splendid thing this scout business has done for boys above another, he went on to say, as they sat around the fire, I think it is the fact that every tenderfoot has to learn how to swim during his first season in camp. How many thousands of lives might have been saved in the past if all boys over eight years of age had been taught how to keep themselves afloat in the water? If the movement had never done a single thing more than that, it would deserve to be reckoned the finest thing that ever happened for American youth. Yes, Giraffe went on to add, and think how many a fellow has been saved from drowning, just as little Johnny here was, first by being taken from the water, and then in having the spark of life coaxed back. You worked that as fine as anything I ever saw, Alan, and the rest of you. That and me felt so shivery cold I'm afraid we couldn't have done it alone by ourselves. A whole lot of the credit goes to the rest of you, and we want you to know that. It was a patrol rescue, and something the boys of the Silver Fox can be proud of always. That was just like Giraffe, who could be one of the most generous-hearted fellows ever known when he wanted to, that he felt considerable remorse because of his reckless way of sending poor Bumpus into that field with the angry mother cow had been patent to Thad early that morning, when he saw Giraffe asking Bumpus to lean on him after the stout scout had mentioned the fact that he was feeling somewhat stiff following his unusual exertions of the previous day. According to my notion, Step Hen broke in with, no boy should ever be allowed to go out in a boat on the water unless he knows how to swim. I agree with you there, Step Hen, the patrol leader added. And yet, how often you see boys taking the greatest kind of chances when, if an upset comes along, they're as helpless as babies. That mother has learned a lesson, and chances are Johnny never goes in a boat again till he can swim like a fish. But boys are not the only ones who take such chances, Alan argued. Why, in the days gone by, when nearly all ships were sailing vessels, and not steamers, it wasn't a strange thing to find dozens of old jacktars who had spent their whole lives at sea and yet never swam a stroke. It seems queer and hard to believe, but I've heard men tell that who knew. Things are going to be different after this, then, said Davy, because every Boy Scout has got to learn how to swim, or he'll stay at Tenderfoot all his days, and no one wants to do that, you know. What happened to the boat? None of you thought to rescue that at the same time, Smithy wanted to know. Oh, it wasn't worth saving, Giraffe told him, and after what happened, Johnny's mother would never want to see it again. We had our hands too full getting him to the bank to bother about that cranky old junk. It'll bring up somewhere below, like as not, or else float out on the Chesapeake Bay around Hob de Grasse, where they used to have such great duck shooting years ago because of the wild celery beds that grew there. Giraffe was fond of hunting and knew considerable in connection with his favorite sport, which information he delighted to impart to his chums at diverse times and on sundry occasions. Once upon a time he had been like most thoughtless boys, so intent on filling his game bag or catching a record number of fish, that slaughter counted little with him. 
But after joining the troop, Giraffe had learned what a true sportsman should be, and since then was never known to inflict needless pain or destroy game or game fish when they could not be used for food. These numerous useful things which scouts learn have the knack of curbing the half-savage instinct that seems to repose within nearly all boys' breasts, and which they say must have descended to them from far-back ancestors. By the time the lunch had been dispatched, Thad and Giraffe declared they were as good as new again, since every particle of their clothes had been thoroughly dried. There was a general scrutiny on the part of all hands, so as to make sure nothing had been forgotten in the excitement. Thad had sent several of them back over the ground to pick up every object thrown aside in that mad scramble, from guns and knapsacks to clothes and shoes. Outside of a little delay, which they expected would not matter much, they had not suffered in the least because of this sudden and unexpected call upon their services. And to have saved a human life was certainly worth ten times as much as they had done. Bumpus at a signal from the leader sounded his bugle, and once more the little detachment of khaki-clad boys started along the river road, heading southeast, and with a positive assurance that the man whom they sought, the hobo wearing the old blue army overcoat, was somewhere ahead of them. In this manner they tramped for several miles, constantly on the lookout for any signs of their quarry. Thad frequently searched for the marked footprint, and as often discovered it plainly marked in the yielding mud close to the road, so that they had no fear of overlapping the fugitive. It was about this time that Bumpus was heard grumbling to himself. "'What's wrong now, Bumpus? Want a little help on account of that stiff leg?' asked Giraffe, turning around. "'Taint that,' returned the other quickly, as if scorning to show signs of fatigue when the others were capable of keeping up the pace. "'Well, what are you grunting about, then? Tell us,' demanded Step Hen, who was himself limping a little, because of a pebble that had managed to work into his shoe despite the protecting legging, and hurt his foot before he bothered getting it out. "'Why, you see,' began Bumpus naively, "'it started to rain at last, that's all.'" End of chapter 8